If you have your Bibles, you have electronic devices, uh, I want you to either click to or turn to, to Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. Uh, you can either use YouVersion. Uh, YouVersion is an app, and it's a Bible app, and you can search on Fellowship of the Rockies, and, and all of the scriptures will come up, all the notes will come up. You can use an iPad, you know, you can use a tablet, or old school Bible, or if not, the words to the scriptures are going to come up on like the Sky Bible uh, as, I, as, I, as I read it in a few moments. And so I want to talk to you today about this issue of, of, of healing hidden hurts. And so I... This is a standalone message, but it's also, it's really, in my mind, like a bonus message to the Desperate series, to the, the 23rd Psalm. Uh, when we ended that psalm together, there was a phrase, there was a word that, I mean, it just kept gnawing at me that, that like there was something more, that God had something more in that passage for us. And, and, uh, and then with some of your emails and text messages or, or phone conversations, or you stopped me in the foyer, you asked some questions, we had some conversation, and I'm like, you know what, it just kind of confirmed to me, Lord, there, there is something more there. And so this is just really like a bonus message to the Desperate series, and it, it comes out of, out of, out of verse 4 when, when all of a sudden David ended verse 4, and he says, and, he says, and I, I will fear no evil, for your rod and your staff are with me, they comfort me. Not like Southern comfort. Uh, it's not like, not like comfort that you find in a bottle. Not like comfort you may try to find in a pill. Not like comfort you may try to find in a joint or an addiction or a behavior or success or performance or anything like that. Not in comfort like the world may give, but in comfort that only he can give. And so I want to talk to you about this issue of, of how do you find comfort in him? How do you find peace from hidden hurts. How do you find peace when you got that junk in the stuff of your past that seems to be like wrecking your today and wrecking your future? I mean, and you want it to go away, but it's just for some reason you're, you're, you're carrying those things. You're, you're carrying those hidden hurts. You see, David had those. And so Psalm 51, Psalm 32, real interesting. Psalm 51 is a Psalm that David wrote about the confession of his sin. Psalm 32 it was actually written after Psalm 51 by David. And so Psalm 51 was, was the confession of David of his sin. Psalm 32 was when David found restoration in the Lord. And when David found healing from his hidden hurts. So we didn't have to carry guilt and stuff of, of the past. And so I want to talk to you about this issue of hidden hurts. I want to, the fact is, Augustine said this. He said, how can you draw close to God when you're far away from yourself? And as a result of that, it led him to a daily prayer. And he prayed, Lord, grant me that I may know myself, that I may know thee. In other words, to know yourself is to know God. Unfortunately, many of us have been, been taught that it's all about just knowing God. It's all about this biblical knowledge, and it, it has nothing to do with our emotions. So as a result of that, we deny our emotions. We deny our feelings. Some of you have been taught that, you know what, your feelings are invalid. Your feelings are unpredictable, and so stay away from your feelings. Stay away from your emotion. But yet we find in the Psalms, David talked a lot about feelings. He talked a lot about these emotions because David understood there's biblical emotions that God has given us that should press us into him, should let us know. It's like, the, it's like the, the warning light on a dashboard to let us know that is, is, is something is, is, is wrong. And so, so there's, there's, 
sometimes in the Christian life, there's like this failure to appreciate the biblical place of feelings in, in, in the Christian life or in our, our spiritual life. And as a result of that, you know what happens when you deny those emotions, when you stuff those emotions, when you try to find comfort in something other than him, whether it's a bottle, a pill, a pill an addiction, or anything like that, it never lasts. And it never heals those hidden hurts. And so this morning, I, I want to talk to you about this issue of emotions. I want to talk to you about how to find healing from the past. And so I'm going to read, and the words aren't going to come up on the screen. The other scriptures will. But I just want to read Psalm 32 in its entirety when David found freedom. And then we're going to back through this together this morning, okay? So here's what Psalm 32 says. David writes, he said, Blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, when I denied my emotions, when I denied my feelings, when I tried to cover it up all other kinds of ways, watch this, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as, the, as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave me the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. Lord, you're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. But not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed and with a bit or a bridle, or it, will be, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice in the Lord, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Let's pray together. Father, we just simply ask you to speak to us. Lord, would you speak to us specifically where we are in our situation, in our circumstance? Father, would we be able to understand the emotions of guilt? Would be able to understand about what it means to find comfort in you? what it means to find forgiveness in you so that we can walk in this life and, and have freedom and have confidence so that the junk and the stuff of our past does not have to affect us today and in the future and tomorrow. So, Father, we just simply ask that you speak to us directly from your word to us. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know if you're like me, but there, there can be good things and bad th things in your past, right? There can be some hurtful things and there can be some healing things. There can be some painful things and there can be some things where, where you had peace. And so a lot of us have, have a past where there's, there's hurt and there's healing and there's difficulty. And then there's good things of our past. And so here's the thing about unresolved issues. When you deny your emotions, when you deny your feelings and you have unresolved issues of the past, unfortunately, they don't stay there. Unfortunately, our unresolved issues from what the scripture tells us will not stay in our past. Unresolved issues, unfortunately, will follow you. Unfortunately, they'll follow you today and they'll follow you in tomorrow. They'll follow you into your future. And guess what? Unresolved issues, unfortunately, will follow you into new relationships. 
Fact is, it can even keep you from having the relationship that you've dreamed of because of these issues and these unresolved issues of the past. And so there's a reason that many of us struggle is because there's something in our past. There's a, there's a failure. Um, there's an act. There's a word. There's a, there's a, there's a mistake. There's a sin. There's a, there's a regret. There's a loss. And for some reason, it's, it's just not resolved. For some reason, we try to deny that that emotion's even there. And sometimes we just have to simply ask ourselves and question, why am I so angry and why am I afraid and why do I have fear? And Man, why, why does this situation give me fear? And then there's, there's good emotion, there's bad emotion, there's, there's biblical emotion, there's non-biblical emotion, and sometimes we have those emotions that aren't of God, right? I mean, you ever have that instant where you, don't, you know what? You just, you just feel like an idiot, right? I, I had that like, like Monday night. Uh, Monday night, uh, our, our Christmas lights are already up, and, and we right now, as, as it stands today, we have more lights on our house than any other house on our neighborhood and, and our, on our block. And so uh, Monday night, I'm coming home from, from work, and, and we, got the, we got Monday night football. We got the Cowboys and the Eagles. It is, I meant, sorry, the Redskins and the Eagles that is, like, really important for us, all of us Cowboy fans, right? And more and more of you guys are, like, jumping on the Cowboy train. I feel it now. And so... Uh, <laughs> I'm a spiritual person. The Holy Spirit tells me things about you guys. And so, <laughs> and come on, there's plenty of room. No judgment on the cowboy train, okay? Uh, and, so, and, so, and so it's a big game. And so I, I pull in. And so while I'm driving down around the block, I, I pass this guy's house. And uh, he has more lights than me. In fact, is he's outlined his garage with lights. And Karen and I has, have talked about that, about outlining the garage doors. And so he did it. So I think, you know what? I can do it. Karen's in the spring. She's on grandkid duty. I'm a home, at home. I am unsupervised for the evening. So... <laughs> So I pull, I pull in, pull my truck into the garage, and think I got an extra roll of lights that I did not use. And so I grab my staple gun. I got 30 minutes before the kickoff of the game. I can do this, even in the dark. And so I, I come outside. I got my staple gun. I take the roll of lights. I stretch them out across the driveway in front of the garage to make sure there's enough there. And there was. And so I start just stapling light, you know, lights up, and I'm working it at a record pace and try not to, you know, staple the wire because it's dark. And so I get to the this dark place of the garage. And I said, ah, oh, I need more light. So I quickly look at my watch. I got 15 more minutes to kick off. I can do this. And so I run into the garage. I jump in my truck. I back out of the garage. Yeah. You know where it's going. I hear crunching glass. Right. And I'm like, what is that? You know, and so I get out of the truck. There's like glass everywhere. The, 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 the string of lights is following me down the driveway. And I, I am such an idiot. You ever have those? I mean, I'm like the dumbest person on the earth. And you're like, yeah, you are. You're from Texas. And so uh, <laughs> the Holy Spirit tells me things. And so, uh, and so I had that feeling like I am such an idiot. You know what? I'm not an idiot. I was just in a hurry. I just wasn't thinking. So I'm telling you, it's important as us as believers to understand biblical emotion and non-biblical emotion. Emotion that God uses in our life to like, like press us into him. I mean, where we come to the place to where we, we know ourselves and we know him. Jesus said that, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. If you don't come to the place to where you know yourself and you know your emotion 
and you understand the difference between biblical emotion and non-biblical emotion, I'm telling you, it will prevent you from, if you don't have a healthy self-love, it'll, help, it, it'll keep you from loving others. It'll keep you from loving your neighbor. It'll keep you from stewarding your life the way in which you're supposed to. And so many people, listen, many people struggle with this. Many people struggle, I'm just telling you, many people struggle going to church because of this issue. And I, I have a, a group of, of friends in the community, non-Christians. I mean, I hang out with non-Christians. Um, and uh, they, they, don't, they don't go to church. And so it's my prayer, my hope that, you know what, I'd be able to lead them to the Lord. I'd be able to influence them. And from time to time, uh, we're together. We're, we're, we're together. And they'll tell me about a crisis in their life or something's going on in their life. And I'll push back and say, hey, maybe, maybe now's the time you need to come to church. Come to church. And you know what they tell me? Charlie, I am so messed up. I need to get my life together before I can go to church. Like, you don't have a chance getting your life together without church. You don't have a chance getting your life together without God. And so often there's this perceptive or perception that people that go to church are like perfect. Like we got our life together. And some of the, some of the reason that is, just got to be honest, is sometimes we project that, right? Sometimes we're uncomfortable with some of our emotions, and so we think part of spirituality is just trying to protect this, project this emotion or this, this, this perception that, guess what, we got it all together. And I think, I think this, I think the safest place for someone to struggle should be in the local church, where we come into community with one another, and we love one another, we pray for one another, we encourage one another, we support one another, and we come into the, to unity together. Listen, I'm telling you in the Scriptures... If we're not careful, we, we'll present people in the scriptures as people that had their life together. And sometimes we just talk about their highlights. Can I tell you this? There's only one person. You probably already know the answer to this. There's only one person in scripture that had his life together. You know who he was? Very good. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the only one of scripture. Everybody else messed up. Right? <laughs> I'm telling you. And today we're going to look at David. David was a man after God's own heart. And we talk about that a lot. But David's life was far from perfect. Fact is, you know what David's life helps me with? If there's hope for David, there's hope for me. If there's hope for David, there's hope for you. If there's hope for David, there's hope for every one of us. And we could look at David's life. And, and David suffered from guilt. And, and he survived guilt. Listen, David's life would make a great lifetime movie. Man, I am tell I, I watch Lifetime movies because I love my wife. Uh, I think it should count as a date night, personally. And <laughs> but I, I wa and you know what? I'm comfortable enough in my skin to let you know there's even some I like, right? They do frustrate me because I think, that man she just met, does he not have a job? I mean, <laughs> what does he do for a living? I mean, if I didn't have a job, I could put up the Christmas tree. I could do the dishes. I mean, I could, well, do the dishes too. I could do the decorations. I mean, I could do that, plan the sleigh ride. If, I mean, does he not have a job? But here's the deal about before I process, process out all of my emotions about the Lifetime movie. You know, if you're a Lifetime movie person, it has a great beginning. 
then the hammer drops in the middle, and it has a great ending, right? I mean, you don't have to worry. We all know how it's going to end. And, <laughs> and so it has, a, it has a great ending, a great beginning, and then, then somewhere, and I, I, I don't want to uh, crack the code for you, but you can check it for yourself. About an hour and 17 minutes to an hour and 22 minutes into the movie, that's when the hammer drops every time. Count on it. I'm just telling you, you know when it's coming. Just watch the time. You know that here comes the breakup. He's going to do something stupid. Who knows? But don't worry. They're going to get back together. And so, so it has a great beginning. It has a great, then it has a terrible middle and then a great ending. Okay. David's life, same thing. David's life starts off in life. God's hand is on him. I mean, it's amazing what God's doing with his life. He knows one day he's going to succeed Saul. He's going to be the king. Um, I mean, then we know the story of David and Goliath. Man, big moment. Then David finally becomes the king. He's like a rock star. Things are going down. Things are happening his way. Everybody loves David. His popularity poll, 100%. And then all of a sudden, an hour and 17 minutes to an hour and 22 minutes in his life, the hammer drops. And he notices this woman by the name of Sheba. He's attracted to her. He's married. She's married. He has an affair. He has an affair with her, and all of a sudden, she becomes pregnant. And so they decided, David decided, I'm going to find comfort, but I'm not going to find comfort in the Lord. I'm going to find comfort by worldly standards for guess what? I can manage this. I can cover this up. I can make this go away. So they have her husband. They have her husband killed when it was discovered that she was pregnant. They had her husband killed. He moves her in the house. And, and so all of a sudden, he's thinking, you know what? We, it, it, we, we got it. We got it. We got it. But the only problem is God knew. And so God sends Nathan, a friend of David's, to David's house and confronts him with the adultery, the lie, the cheats, the deceit, the steep, all of that stuff. And then all of a sudden, David comes to this place that he gets real about his emotion. And then, then he's restored, Psalm 32, and it has a, it has a happy ending. And so he, he, this story has great purpose for us this morning. I mean, if God can forgive David of his sins and wipe them clean and inspire him to write most of the Psalms, then what can he do with our lives? It's the difference that, that God made in David's life. I mean, can I just tell you this? David was an unlikely candidate. God loves unlikely candidates. That's why I think God's team is the Cowboys because they're an unlikely candidate. If you're sitting here this morning and you think, you know what, I'm an unlikely candidate, can I tell you, God loves unlikely candidates. God uses unlikely candidates. And David is this unlikely candidate. And he has hidden hurts from the past that David has to deal with. When you look at guilt in the scriptures, guilt, guilt is a biblical emotion. And so we just got to understand this and we'll look at the three issues of guilt and we'll call it good. There's a difference between guilt and shame. Our English language and a lot of people use guilt and shame like they're the same word. They can be interchanged. Uh, they're not the same word. They don't mean the same thing. Guilt means this. Guilt simply means this. It's the realization that I've done something wrong. It's the realization that I've done something bad. It's the realization that I've, I've, I've done something, an action. Shame debilitating. Shame, totally different. Shame is this. 
I am a bad person because of what I've done. I am a bad person because of that sin, that word, that action, that mistake, that failure. Let let me just tell you this this morning. So we're tracking this morning. Shame is not of God. Shame is not an emotion that God has given us. Shame is not a biblical emotion. You never find in Scripture where God used shame to bring someone into the kingdom. Where God used shame to bring someone back to him. Fact is, you can check it for yourself. You can go through the the New Testament with Jesus. Jesus never met someone that was caught in their sin and shamed them back to the kingdom. Never. Never. So shame, listen, shame, if you're feeling this morning that I am a bad person because that is not of God. That is not a biblical emotion. That is a counterfeit emotion of the evil one to keep you paralyzed in that area. So I want to give you three things about this issue of guilt so that we understand guilt is a biblical emotion. The first one is this, is the problem with guilt. It's just, just, there is a problem with guilt. In other words, guilt is bondage. Guilt will wear you out. And this is why you'll hear people say, I'm just so tired of being guilty. I am so tired of like carrying this. Listen, if if you don't remember anything else, remember this. Guilt always erodes the container that is carried in. Guilt always destroys the container that it's carried in. You weren't designed to carry guilt. You were designed to give your guilt to the Lord and let him take care of it. Guilt always destroys. Guilt always erodes the container that it is carried in. Listen, guilt will hover over you like a dark cloud. I mean, it will, it will seep into every area of your life. Watch this. David writes in Psalm 38, 4, he says, My guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. This is why you never stuff this emotion. This is why you never deny it and ignore it. Watch this, Psalm 51, 1. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stains, stain of my sins. Wash uh, me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. In other words, this is where David starts unloading and dealing with this emotion of guilt. I don't know if you've ever carried guilt. I mean, I've told you about a story in my life and, and about three years ago. So I apologize if you heard it, but it just, it's just so appropriate today. But four years ago... Uh, my dad was dealing with bladder cancer, and so my mom and dad lived in Houston, Texas, and, and so I needed to go back, and I needed to spend some time with my dad and help my dad, help my mom, and so I had some pastor meetings in Dallas, and so I was going to fly from Colorado to Dallas, do my meetings, and then drive down to Houston, Texas, and spend a couple of weeks with my parents, and so, so the day before I was to leave to fly out to Dallas, um, I went with Pastor Dwayne and a group of guys from our church, and we went out to the shooting range, and we, we, we shot handguns. And so it was just a great day. That, that day, I came home, loaded up my backpack, loaded up my luggage, um, my carry-on and all that other stuff, went to the airport, went through TSA. They examined my backpack. They pulled me out of line for extra care, I guess. I don't know. And then they wiped my backpack down to make sure there wasn't any, you know, gunpowder residue or explosives or anything like that. Pass that test. Get on the plane. And I was behind. I needed to work on the plane. So I open up my backpack. I start, uh, I start pulling out my Bible, a journal. I pull out my laptop. I needed a pen. I, I dug deep into my backpack. Pack, and there was a, a clip of ammo in my backpack. Yeah, and I'm on the plane. And I'm like, one, I think... Huh, that makes me feel safe. How did I get, how did I get on the plane? And, you know, you get that, that nervous sweat starts, you know. And I'm like, 
you know, do they know? Do they not know? Are they going to arrest me in Dallas? I mean, what is happening here? What if they, do I tell someone? Do I not tell someone? And so I just stuffed it even deeper in my bag, right? And tried to cover it up and then tried to act, you know, innocent. (laughs) I didn't want to give myself away. Um, We have a lady in our church. She did the same thing and they caught her. And she, they put her on a 10-year terrorist watch list. I did not want to be on that list. And, and so, I mean, I was nervous. I mean, I, I couldn't work. I couldn't think. I couldn't read. Because you know why? My guilt overwhelms me. When is a shoe going to drop? When is, when, and that's what guilt does to you. Guilt is, is always on your mind. You don't have to write a song about that. Psalm 51. <laughs> 3. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 7.10. He said, for the kind of sorrow. So these two different types is one biblical emotion and a non-biblical emotion. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. In other words, a good emotion is when we respond to guilt, we repent, we ask for forgiveness, and it leads us to him. But here's the bad type. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which leads to rep- which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. In other words, this it's that individual that they're not repenting, they're not changing, they're just sorry they got caught. They don't want to change anything. They don't even want to. Dr- they want to deny it, and they're just sorry they got caught. They're sorry about the circumstances. They're sorry you're mad. They're not sorry for what they've done. Corinthians, Paul would say, that's not a biblical emotion. That's not a biblical response. See, when we see the word repent in church, we think that's like one of those angry words that someone says with like angry eyebrows. But actually, it's a great word. Actually, it's a good word. God provided repentance for us to lead us to him so we could unload this guilt, so we could unload this stuff. He provided one of our greatest needs for us, this issue of repentance, when it is not an angry word. It is a good word. The second thing about guilt is this, is there's an answer to guilt. There may be a problem with guilt, and there is when you don't address it. Or it'll let you know there's a problem in your life, but then, but then he gives it. It doesn't stop there. There's an answer uh, to guilt. In other words, sin leads to guilt. Guilt is a biblical emotion that is highlighting something that needs to change in our life, something that's going on. And so, so we're clear. We, we don't repent of guilt. We repent of, of sin. I mean, guilt is an indicator that something's wrong in your life. Guilt is an in- indicator that there's something that needs to change. Guilt is just flashing these lights saying something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. I mean, David writes in Psalm 51.10, that's why he says, Create in me a, a clean heart. Oh, God, renew a loyal spirit in me. In other words, David was aware because of this guilt. God, you need to do something in my life. You need to change something in my life. And remember, I told you Psalm 32 is after David gets forgiveness. Watch this, verse uh, verse 1. He said, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those who record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. You cannot live in complete honesty, complete transparency when you have unresolved issues, unresolved guilt of the past. You know why? Because you're trying to find comfort 
in another way, in manipulation or in control. Nobody can live in complete honesty when there's guilt of the past. When I refused to confess my sins, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. In other words, you know what he was saying? I, I ignored that emotion. I stuffed that emotion. I ignored that guilt. And as a result of that, it was always on my mind. As a result of that, I thought about it. I, I couldn't sleep. I got to the place where I could, I, could, I could no longer eat. I tried to find comfort in the world's way, whether it was an addiction, whether it was a bottle, whether it was a pill, whether it was a, a joint or whatever it was. I, it, 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 just, it just didn't work. And as a result of that, it's just like on me. And now I can't sleep, and it's causing physical problems. I can't eat. I'm losing weight. I'm developing ulcers. I'm developing stomach issues, stress-related issues. Psalm 32, 5, he goes on. And I love this first word. And he says, he says, finally. Why is it? Why is it a lot of us are like David? Why is it a lot of us, when we feel guilt, when we feel that stuff and that junk and that stuff of the past, we... We deny it, we ignore it, and we say, you know what, I can cover it, I can hide it, I can get rid of it. And, it, and then we get to the place where it's causing physical problems, relational problems, emotional problems, we're hitting bottom, and we say, finally, finally, finally I'll deal with it. Finally I'll deal with it in a biblical way. He says, finally I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to to hide my guilt, to find comfort in something other than you. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion, rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. Here's my favorite line. All my guilt is gone. Here's the cool thing about God. He not only forgives you of your sin, he takes away your guilt. Both are important. In other words, when he forgives you of your sin... He also takes away your guilt. He also resolves the issues of your past. The third and the last thing is, this is like the happy ending part of the Lifetime movie. There is release from guilt. There is release from guilt. Psalm 32, 6 says, Therefore let the godly pray to you while there is still time, that, there may not be, be drowned, that they may not drown in the floodwaters of of judgment. In other words, he sweeps away, takes away your guilt. Look, look at what Isaiah says about this. You're so cool. Isaiah 44, 22. God's talking and he says, I've swept away your sins like a cloud. So you're going to notice he uses word pictures for things that are temporary. I have scattered your offenses like the morning mist. Oh, return to me for I've paid the price to set you free. In other words, because of what Christ has done for us on the cross, he's paid the price. So many times we think, think that God doesn't really take away our sins. He doesn't really sweep them away. Oh, he sweeps them away. He sweeps them under the rug. And the next time we sin, the next time we blow it, he like lifts up the rugs and let us see all the stuff we've ever done wrong. That's not the picture here in Isaiah. He uses words like morning mist. I was raised in South Texas, so morning mist or fog was normal for us. The amazing thing about that in the morning when the mist could be so thick you couldn't see the future. But the sun would come up and it only took an hour and it burned it off and you never saw it again. That's what, it, that's, that's what he's saying. He's saying that he comes to the place. I'm telling you, he comes to the place that he forgives you. And what the scripture tells us is this, is that 
God doesn't remind once we've once we found forgiveness, God doesn't remind us of, of our God doesn't remind us of our of our sin. The, o- the only time you're reminded of your sin, I'm just telling you, it's either self or Satan. Once you've repented, once you've come to that place and you've had forgiveness, it's just self or Satan. I mean, Satan is a master. It's splicing together a highlight reel of your past of every mistake you've ever made, every sin you've ever committed. And you know what? If we're honest, we're, we're kind of bad at it too. But yet, when you look at Scripture, you realize that, that once you've found forgiveness, that, that Jesus removes our sin, he, he sweeps our sin away, he, he, he scatters them. The word scatter in the Hebrew means to throw out the things that don't belong there. It's like when you clean out your garage, your garage and you take some stuff to the curb and some, some people show up once a week and they haul that stuff away to, the, to, to, to a, a landfill and you never see it again. This, this is the picture. This is, this is the picture that, it, that, is, that is here. Psalm 103.12 says, He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. And so he's trying to communicate to us, once he's forgiven of your sins, you'll never see them again. You'll never see them again. I mean, there's scripture that says once you forget, you've been forgiven of sin, he takes your sin and he puts them behind his back, never to look, on, look at them again. Scripture says that he doesn't remind us of our sin. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. I mean, there's scripture after scripture. But, but why is it? Why is it we believe in a God and we can believe that he created the world, he hung the stars, he hung the planets? Why is it that we believe that, that in the miracle of the resurrection that he died on a cross, he was buried in a, cro- uh, in a grave and on the third day he rose again? Why is it that we believe in the miracles of Scripture that he fed 5,000 with some loaves of bread and some fish, and yet we don't believe he can forgive us of sin? Scripture says, and we found forgiveness, he takes our sins away. This thought was really on my heart when I woke up Saturday morning. And so I, I know all those scriptures like many of you do. And so I asked myself the question, God, is this true of David? Is there any biblical evidence of this in scripture that you ever reminded David ever again about the sin that he committed with Bathsheba? After Psalm 51, after Psalm 32. Because I've told you the greatest commentary of scripture is scripture itself. And so I got up Saturday morning, I, I grabbed my laptop and my Bible software in a Bible, and I started walking through Scripture, and, and I says, God, if this is true, it'll be true in David's life too. Help me. Here's the cool thing. 57 times in Scripture, David's name is mentioned after Psalm 51, after Psalm 32, after he found forgiveness. 57 times David's name is mentioned in Scripture. Not once did God lead a New Testament or Old Testament writer to bring up David's sin. Not once. Not once. It's only talked about before. And when David repented, after that, even though David's name was mentioned in Scripture 57 more times, it's never talked about. God does the same thing with your life. 
Once you find forgiveness, once you repent, he never mentions it again. It may be self, it may be Satan. We just see this over and over in Scripture. See, God, God loves unlikely candidates. I mean, Simon, Simon Peter denied Christ, left Christ when Christ needed him the most, and yet Jesus Christ restored him. John chapter 21, you never hear another word. The Apostle Paul, before he became a Christian, you know what he was doing? He was killing Christians. He was torturing Christians. He was hunting. In fact, the fact is, the Apostle Paul gave approval to the killing of Stephen, the, the first deacon of the local church. And let Christ met him. He's an unlikely candidate and then used him to write most of the New Testament. The one that was once torturing Christians is now teaching Christians. I mean, I'm telling you, this is the happy ending of a lifetime movie. It can be a happy ending to your, your journey of, of healing hidden hurts. Psalm 51.12 says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. The question is, is, are you tired of carrying guilt? Are you carrying guilt some morning, this morning? You know why when I quit carrying guilt over the ammo that was in my backpack? Is when I finally made it to my mom's house. And I took that backpack and I dumped out all the ammo. And when I got back on the plane to fly back to Colorado, I went through TSA with confidence. You know why? Because I knew the ammo wasn't there. I didn't even worry. I didn't even, I didn't even, I wasn't even concerned. And so many of you, I am burdened that you are unwilling to unload the backpack of your life. And you think you can manage it. You think you can deny it. You think you can find comfort in anything else. And I'm telling you, finally, finally, when David unloaded the backpack of his life, he had freedom. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?